When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to DraftKings Network. Welcome to Golik and Smitty. I'm Mike Golik. I'm Jessica Smetana. Welcome to another edition of Golik and Smetty. I am Mike Golik Sr. She is Jess Smetana, playing uh, a little under the weather today, but playing nonetheless. That's the toughness I like to see, Jess. That you're fighting through it. This is my flu yeah. game. Yeah. yeah. I, we're going to have a great podcast today. Gojo's going to join us later to help carry the load a little bit. But right now we have a very special guest on. My friend Rohan Nedkarni, who is my former coworker from Sports Illustrated, writes about the NBA. He's from South Florida, Mike. So he's been following this Miami Heat run in the NBA playoffs since the very beginning. And he's also written about the Nuggets and Jokic, who no one seems to really know anything yeah. about. So welcome, Rohan. Thank you for joining um, first of all, what can you tell us about Nikola Jokic, the biggest person I've ever seen play basketball, question mark? Well, first of all, I just want to say what an honor it is to be joining the show with a Miami Dolphins legend ah. and Mike Golick. Um, truly a dream come true. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, what can I tell you about Nikola Jokic? I think there's one story I have about Nikola Jokic that sums up his personality and how he feels about his dominance. So it took me like months of negotiating, doing Nuggets stories to finally convince the Nuggets to get me about like 10 minutes with Nikola Jokic last year. And it's one of the last national interviews he's done. And the Nuggets did me a big favor because they knew I followed the team very closely and was a big fan. So after a (laughs) shocking loss to the Oklahoma City Thunder last year in March, I got to speak to Nikola Jokic. Uh, to do a story about why I believe he should have won his second MVP in a row. And I asked him if he ever dreamed of becoming an all-star. And he said, no, I just thought I'd come to the NBA and get in a better workout program <laughs> than I was in Serbia. And then I asked him, are you having fun playing at an MVP level every night? You know, is it fun going out there and dominating the NBA on a night-to-night basis? And he said, brother, um, I always say I love ice cream, but even if you eat ice cream 10 nights in a row, you get bored. Um, so I, Nikola Jokic is just, he's truly one-on-one. Um, he, he plays basketball at a savant level and he, he does it. Listen, he wants to win. He's very competitive, but he could not care less about how his team wins. Yeah. He, Wait, Mike, would, do you agree with that? Would you, I feel like you <laughs> don't get sick of eating ice cream 10 nights in a row, right? So I, I have, uh, I have to admit, I've never gotten sick of eating ice cream just yet, uh, <laughs> or cake or any other kind of pastry. So uh, the Joker and I don't have that in common, <laughs> just like our careers. I was a mediocre player. He is an all-star and the best in the world right now. And, you know, so we sit here and look at this series, tied one and one. Our, after that game one, I guess I'll start with how surprised are you that Miami, though I guess they're not been that surprising, but that they actually pulled one off in Denver after the, the, the spanking they took in game one. You know, I wasn't super surprised for one major reason, and that was because I thought Miami actually generated a lot of open shots in game one. 
I was a little surprised the way people were talking about Denver's defense after game one as if this was some kind of lockdown unit that couldn't be scored on. You know, I know Miami only had 93 points in game one, but I thought their offense actually got them open look after open look. So in game two, they hit the shots that they've been hitting a lot of the playoffs, right? I mean, there's all kinds of numbers out there right now about kind of how inexplicable Miami's three-point shooting has been. Um but those are the shots they've been hitting all playoffs. So I was not super surprised because I don't think Denver has played NBA Finals level defense yet in this series. But these were not quite the shots Miami was making in the regular season, right? Like they were having issues scoring, especially before the All-Star break. So what has clicked for them in the postseason that was completely missing during the regular season? Jess, if, if I knew the answer to that question, I would be sitting next to Eric Spolstra on his bench and making as much money as him because it really is inexplicable. It, it's kind of shocking to see them shoot this well. Um, I would say this. They're a team that, that executes at a very high level. I think bringing in Kevin Love has helped them size-wise, has added another player on the floor to guard. But, I mean, all credit to Caleb Martin, Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, they are, they are, Gabe Vincent is, is playing in himself into so much money this summer into a whole different league of contract because of the way he's been shooting the ball. And these are guys who I thought were talented, showed potential in the regular season. But if I could sit here and tell you there's, I could point to this one thing that explains why they're shooting so much better. It, it, it really is one of the most inexplicable, unbelievable things to happen in a sport where this usually does not happen. It does not happen in basketball in a seven game series. You know, it's one thing. In uh, football playoffs, for example, for a quarterback to get hot, you run into the right matchup. It's a it's a higher variance sport. It usually does not happen in basketball, and it's been kind of uh, unbelievable to witness. So you you look at their shooting in game one. The guys that that take those outside shots, Strews, Vincent, and Robinson, they were eight of thirty from the field, six of twenty four from three point land. Though Vincent was fifty percent. Uh, of that. So he actually did pretty well. Game two, the one they won, the three of them were 16 to 27 from the field, 10 of 19 from three point land. So, you know, coaches hate to, and just ask Eric Spolster if it's (laughs) it's just simple enough to make a, make a a Joker, a shooter, you know, and not, not an assist man. And he'll go off on you. But is it as simple as how is Miami going to shoot tonight? Because when they make their shots, obviously it's going to help them a lot more. And when they miss them, it doesn't seem – they don't seem to have another way around that to make up for it. I, I do think that is a – it's an undeniable factor in their success in the postseason that when they win, they don't just shoot well. They shoot almost historically well. I believe it's uh, Tom Haberstrow uh, who had this stat today that the Heat have shot over 50% from three – uh, this postseason the same number of times as the Warriors did during their four championship runs. Uh, it's just remarkable the degree to which they shoot well in their wins. This is what I would say if I'm playing, you know, kind of devil's advocate to just Miami shooting is the only reason they're winning. It, it's two things. Number one, Denver's defense is inviting these open shots. You know, they're inviting Miami to yeah. step up into space and shoot comfortably. Secondly, we have not seen a great finals game from Jimmy Butler yet. I thought he was good in game two, getting his teammates involved, driving into the paint on the baseline, uh, finding players to pass to. But if you're Miami, one way to survive a bad shooting night, uh, you could have Jimmy Butler kind of go off from one of his classic playoff performances, and that hasn't happened yet. So you said you don't think Denver has been playing NBA finals uh, level defense yet. Mm-hmm. What do they need to do defensively that they haven't been doing in the first couple games? 
That's a, a really good question, Jess. I'd say it's two things. First okay. and foremost, they have to clean up. No, it's true. It's People always just come down to, is it effort? You know, what is it? Is it intensity? Michael Malone was talking about effort after the game. Oh, First and foremost, yeah. they got to clean up the miscommunications. You know, Max Struess had four threes in the first quarter. At least three of those came from just botched communication. One was an out-of-bounds play. One was a routine switch. One was a high pick-and-roll. We're talking about an elite shooter stepping into wide-open threes in the NBA Finals because the Nuggets aren't on the same page defensively. This late in the season is supposed to be when your chemistry is at its best. Secondly, I think they're giving Miami shooters too much space. You know, Nikola Jokic famously is not the type of defender. Uh, he's he's not a, a big man who you switch with, for example. Um, but the Nuggets have had success in the past when – Nikola Jokic gets called into a screen, having him chase the ball handler a little bit until the primary defender can have some time to recover. I want to see more of that from Denver. I want to see them putting more pressure uh, on Miami's ball handlers and shooters uh, at the top of the key instead of letting them step into some of these shots. Uh, let me tell you, as a former player, hearing a coach talk about effort, that's one of the, that's one of the things that will get to a player more than anything. And we saw... After game two, three of the starters for Denver didn't even talk to the media. Malone must have just tore them all a new one. <laughs> and when it, as I said, defense, you know, you can X and O and you can screw up physically. Someone may be better than you and just beat you. You may not switch how you're supposed to or screw that up. But what you can control is effort. And when your coach is screaming that the effort is not there in the NBA finals, that is has to be some kind of an issue. I would agree. And I think part of the issue for Denver sometimes is they're so good at scoring that you could see sometimes on defense, you get the sense that they're like, we'll just get this one back the next time down. You know what I mean? It's like the equivalent of the Chiefs defense. I'm sure in the back of their mind sometimes they're like, you know what? There's two minutes left in the game. Mahomes will just go down the field. What's the big deal? I think there's a there's an element of that for the Nuggets where they're like, Ah, you know what? We got Jokic. We'll just go down and get this one back. It's not a big deal. And you, if you play with that fire long enough, uh, you might get burned. And I think that happened to an extent in game two. So you're obviously from South Florida. Um, mm -hmm. Big fan of the local joint Flanagan's, which we can <laughs> talk about later because I know you're you're a big fan. And Mike loves talking about food. But if you could take <laughs> the South Florida-ness out of it, out of the equation, which storyline do you think is the one that you're looking for? Jokic getting a championship in Denver with this like haunted Nuggets team or Jimmy Butler winning a championship in Miami, even though Miami's, you know, they won a few recently, a few notable championships. He's never won one before. I mean, if, if we're really taking the South Florida-ness out of it, I, I have like a professional stake in, in the success of Nikola Jokic. Cause I, you know, I went out on a limb last year and I said, this guy should win MVP. You know, I had all the Philly fans coming at me. Oh, you don't watch hoops. You just look at spreadsheets, etc. Again, this year, I thought he had a great case for MVP. People didn't want to give it to him. I mean, we don't have to get into that debate all over again. I picked the Nuggets to win the finals before the season started. I picked them again when SI asked us for our bold predictions for 2023. So if they win, I look like a genius. Um, so that's, that's a big reason why I'm pulling for the Nuggets. But even beyond that, to... It's very rare that teams built the way the Nuggets are win in the NBA now. Um, you know, th there was no there were no superstar teaming up, no trade requests, etc. And I'm not saying that's a bad way to win, but I think it'd be great for the NBA to see kind of a mid market team uh, that that built it out this way. It would just be a cool storyline. It would be a cool storyline for them to win.
I think NBA players more than any other players have the biggest effect on if they're going to win a championship. The putting quarterbacks in, in a set and in, in aligning uh, Super Bowls to them, I can't stand because there's mm. offense, defense, special team. Basketball, you can be you're out in the court, offense, defense. You can be out of the court the entire game, 40 minutes, 48 minutes, whatever. You have more effect out there. That being said, is this a bigger boost for the legacy side of Jimmy Butler, who hasn't won a title? Or the Joker, who hasn't won a title? I think the biggest boost comes for Jimmy Butler because he's kind of a fringe top 75 player, etc. Um, he's someone who's existed in kind of the perfect space where people really respect him, but they've never thought he was so good that he gets killed for not winning, right? Like, if you think about it this year, Giannis, there's all this talk, was it a failure, etc.? Kevin Durant, when he loses, it's a big deal. It's never been a big deal when Jimmy Butler loses. It's only a big deal uh, when he plays well. To me, Jokic's legacy, yes, he needs a title to be an all-time, all-time great. You look at the list of players who've won back-to-back MVPs, he's already in rarefied air, okay? It's it's very uh, small, that list. So I think he's already established himself as one of the best players to ever pick up a basketball. The, Jimmy Butler, if he's able to knock out... If, he, if they win this series, the Heat will have beaten the, the three teams with the most wins from the NBA this season. That That is a massive feather in his cap, and he vaults into an entirely different conversation if the Heat win. But is the even bigger boost going to Eric Spolstra if he wins <laughs> a championship with this roster? Because I think that is probably one of the, the unsung uh, heroes of the Miami uh, Heat fan base right now. Spolstra is going to get a huge legacy boost. He's going to be able to... They're going to have to hand Eric Spolster a blank check after the season and say, you write in the number, okay? And you, you tell us what we owe you because you can't put a price on, on what he brings this team. It's such a symbiotic relationship when you think about how fragile coaching security is in American sports that he has the full backing of the organization, which empowers him to make decisions like, I'm going to you know, not play Kevin Love in game one, put him into game two. I'm going to I'm going to lean on guys like Caleb Martin and Gabe Vincent, etc. Think about how many years they brought Tyler Hero off the bench. Um Spo's got, you know, platinum, titanium. What's like the top Marriott rewards? It's like titanium elite. That's Eric Spoelstra. <laughs> um and if, if there's another level for him to go to, it's it's probably just, you know, him getting to name his price after this summer. Okay, before we go, can you explain to Mike what is in a Flanagan's rock and rib roll? Oh my gosh! It's it would be my honor. I, I you've never so you I'm, I take it Dean you've never had a Flanny's rib roll. I've never had a rib roll. I've had the baby back ribs, but Mike's okay. never been to a Flanagan's. No, just not no Flanagan's period. No, no Flanagan's period. No. Okay, that that is first of all shocking to me, and maybe the first time I've ever been disappointed you in my entire life. <laughs> um, it's like they literally are taking like barbecued ribs putting them in an egg roll with like some cheese. And it's, it's truly one of the most addictive, delicious. I, I can't tell you the number of times I've been to Flanagan's and someone's like, I'm getting a rib rolls to go. Obviously it is uh it is an absolutely elite food. It's what, it's what America does best. Really. It's just like, if you showed this, I'm sure to whoever invented the egg roll, they'd be like, what in the world are you doing? But here we are. And it's, it's one of the most addictive foods you'll ever eat. So it's it's an egg roll with rib meat and cheese. Yes. Oh my god! I mean that, that's I know. like it's, heaven. And like yes. barbecue sauce, yeah. Yeah, oh, barbecue along sauce, with like 
beer after beer after beer. I oh, mean, oh yes, my god. Yes. Oh, so, well, when I next time I'm down there, we're going and you're buying. Listen, it would be it would truly be my honor. I so Jess, I, I when you said like one last thing before you go, does that mean we're not talking about um Jack Mitchell's game-winning kick uh for okay. Northwestern against Notre no, Dame? It's been great in, having you in on, 2015 Rohan. in South Bend. We're you're just going to we're going to gloss over that. Get your facts straight <laughs> if you're going to troll Notre Dame fans. Oh, Rohan so you do to, remember it. You do remember you it. To, okay, I'm I just was there. Sure. It was horrible. <laughs> Ron's a Northwestern fan. He went to Northwestern. It's his one like happy sports memory that they beat Notre Dame at Notre Dame <laughs> Stadium because Cam McDaniel, I think, fumbled the ball in like the fourth quarter and it went into overtime or something stupid. Do you I know why that? Do you know why that game is is so bad to me? Uh, I was doing the show with Greeny then, who was a Northwestern grad. I had to reenact the Kim Kardashian pose when she was naked. <laughs> Wait, from that behind. was because of that game. That was because of that game. I never knew that. Yes, That's, it was because of that wow. game when Haunted. I put pearls on construction um, uh, gloves, and my wife oiled me up with a paint roller, which was <laughs> very, very not sexy uh, at all. And <laughs> and Mike, Mike, who's going to join us in a few minutes, was scarred because he had to be the photographer. He had to take pictures of his oiled up father trying to look like Kim Kardashian because of that game. So congratulations on your first and only appearance on this show. <laughs> well, I, I, I apologize on so many <laughs> levels that that happened to you uh, truly, but, but thank you very much for having me on. Nonetheless. All right. As promised, here is my son, Mike Golick Jr. Um, Mike, before we get into what we are going to talk about, we just had on Rohan Ned Carney from Sports Illustrated. And Jess, you brought it up to him, and then he brought up, he was a Northwestern fan and brought up that 2014 game mm -hmm. where Northwestern beat us at Notre Dame. And unbeknownst to both Rohan and Jess, that was also the impetus of me doing the Kim Kardashian uh, repose and how my wife, uh, your mother, had to oil me up with a paint roller and you had to take pictures of your oiled up father and just how much that scarred you. Yeah, your freak ass the other day on our show decided that you were going to rewrite history and have it be I oiled you up for that photo, yeah. which is oh, not what happened. But for some reason, you felt like remembering it that way, which is a whole yeah. separate issue yeah. that yeah, I don't want to touch on here. Yeah, one of the darkest days of my life coming home and seeing baby oil and a paint roller on the counter in your guy's house. There isn't enough therapy in the world that'll get that out of my brain. <laughs> I don't... I. I I didn't know that that was because of the Northwestern Notre Dame. Yeah. That makes me even more upset. That was truly you. one of the bottom three. I mean, seeing your naked bear oiled up back was bad enough, but Notre Dame losing at home in the, I, I think it was the second to last game of the season that year. It was a, it was a tough season. I think it was whenever Golson came back from his suspension yeah. that year. It was tough and they lost and it was like nine degrees out and it was so miserable. And Northwestern fans have been lording that over Notre Dame football fans for like almost like 10 years now. And they, they went like one in 11 last year. Like they have no right. They have had minimal to zero football success ever in the history of their program. And yet they <laughs> still are doing this to us. And it is just still pissing me off. I am very triggered by it. 
Jess, I'll never forget that night I was back in South Bend and I had actually agreed to do the Notre Dame post-game radio show. And I figured that was a layup that night. They take calls on that thing. My God, getting up there with the host of that show, someone called in and they just looked at me and lobbed it my way. I was like, oh, okay, so we're going to haze the rookie tonight. That's how we're going to get down. So the trauma of that being one of my sports talk intros. And then you correctly phrased it, dad's oiled up back because dad, you got no butt. So it's just a long back. Yeah, it was a long back. I No, listen, I agree. I agree with that. And also, Jess, I had to sit through losses when the boys were there uh, to Syracuse, uh, to, to UConn, to Tulsa. I mean, it was brutal. So let South me, Florida. let's, let's wipe that, yeah, South Florida, let's wipe that taste right. away and oh. quickly recap. Because, yes, you and I haven't been together for a while. Mike and I talked about this. But how can we show some love to Notre Dame lacrosse? Yes. Finally, after 35 years of Kevin Gorgon being the coach and multiple trips to the Final Four and to the championship, Notre Dame finally gets a championship, Jess, beating Duke uh, to win the title. How does the number one sign work when you win a national championship? They're going to be ranked number one until like probably after the next poll comes out, right? So we just leave that up now for the rest of summer? Is that For people that don't know, Notre Dame has this very obnoxious neon sign on top of one of their few tall buildings i think it's like an eight-story building and it yeah. says like number one and anytime a team is ranked number one in the country they light up the sign so it's like a, it's an it's an iconic thing at notre dame and it, it usually is not for the football team but now we get it for the men's lacrosse team which i think is fantastic i was gonna say it's usually fencing and women's basketball and sometimes track it's, Although- it's always fencing Jess, yes. you want to know the most, you want to talk about obnoxious. When we were number one my last year there for a little bit, my parents back in Connecticut, the um, front of their house on the second floor, there was a big open window. Usually that was where my mom would put the Christmas tree because the whole neighborhood could see it. They went and made a styrofoam cutout number one, strung it up with Christmas lights and put it right there in the front for the entire month that we were I number love one. That. I love that so much. Hey, listen, we were year. number we were number one for forty four days. We, me, and your mother squeezed every bit out of those forty four days because then we had to live through the hell of what that game with Alabama was. So you know, we we, yeah. we had to take it. We could get it. So, uh, congrats to the to the Notre Dame lacrosse team, Mike. I want to ask you one question about uh, about the NBA and then move on a little bit. Uh, we had just discussed that a bit. Whatever your thought, and I know in, in doing the show with you that you've picked Denver, has anything changed in your mind now that Miami basically has done what they've done the entire postseason, win one on the road and get home court advantage? Uh, no, nothing's really changed. This is always kind of what I was afraid of. I thought it was a little more laced with Jimmy Butler than Gabe Vincent, but six of one, half dozen of the other at this point. No, I still think Denver wins because at the end of the day, both of these are teams that are led largely by one really good player, maybe one and a half for Jamal Murray and Bam Adebayo, and I think that Denver has the better of those. So Michael Malone's going to get to rip him a new ass, and then they're going to oh. go on about their business. Yeah, I mean, when you get ripped, as I said, about effort, and you have three of your starters not even talking to the media after, there was some ass chewing that went on. I expect Denver just to come out flying against Miami and the front-running fans. I mean, the fans down there uh, in Miami. I'm sorry. It's so graphic. I mean, I I was shocked by the way Miami was able to come back after the run Denver went on, like, in the middle of that game. So – my prediction before this series, we didn't really get a chance to do predictions, Mike, because we didn't have a pod last week because it was Memorial Day and I was at a wedding and that's probably why I'm sick now. 
but uh-huh. I would have said Nuggets in five. And that's still on the table, but I'm f- feeling very uh, unoptimistic about it. That's what I picked, Jess. And I still feel like there's probably hope for that. I guess it's probably more likely Nugget in six because Miami's going to win one at yeah. home, I'd imagine. Yeah. But I think Denver's going to win game three pretty handily here Jokic is a supercomputer like you just feed him basketball stuff and he spits out points and then awkward bruising on his very very plush white skin yeah he does have kind of redness and cuts and bruises all over he's Uh, he's he's like he's like a high school offensive lineman Jess he looks like every rival's photo of a high school offensive lineman ever that fat kid picture of him there is 100% a picture of me like that from Avon Connecticut circa 2002 I was thinking he looked like a like a wrestler almost, but Mike, you're Mike Senior is the is more of the wrestling expert. Doesn't he look like he could you know pin you on a wrestling mat? He does. He has that look, and he has a look of not being athletic, and yet he is. He is athletic, and before every game, before we're we're going to talk some hockey in a little. Mike, the only thing missing from him looking like you as an old lineman is the orange Gatorade that you throw up on yourself a bit. Uh, with Anna Dua from NHL.com, uh, a fantasy on ice. But before that, Mike, since we were talking Notre Dame, we were talking college, I want to get your take on, since the SEC kind of rules all, the SEC deciding to go stay, I should say, with their eight-game schedule, and the thought was maybe they'd go to a nine-game schedule, and everybody mad at them yet again, but they don't give a damn about that. They're going to do things their way, it seems. Yeah, I, I like I can understand everyone kind of wants everyone to do everything the same way. It's a lot of every's in one sentence, but you get what I mean. College football is already a really uneven, weird, chaotic playing field because of the way it's set up and how many teams there are. And because everyone else has already gone to nine games in their conference schedule and everyone else is doing the division list thing, the SEC's meeting them halfway on that. But you hit the nail on the head. There's really no financial or competitive incentive for them to do this other than being able to preserve more of the rivalries. Like with the nine-game conference schedule, the idea is you'd have three, like three permanent opponents and then six rotating opponents. So you wouldn't have these large stretches between teams playing one another when you're now a 16-team league with Oklahoma and Texas. But again, if ESPN's not going to pay them more money for the extra conference game and they're already making the playoffs and putting teams into the postseason, then they're not really worried about what everyone else thinks, at least historically, that's never mattered much to them. So Greg Sankey can come out and act like that, and they can have their cake and eat it too because no one's ever going to vote it through. It just means less. People's yeah, opinions. Right. Damn oh, right. God. It, it, it just means true. less conference games. Oh, God. So true. Yes. Uh, SEC is always going to do things their way. Nick Saban's going to continue as he goes to Congress to try and fight to, to – save the NIL or make it make it work more for him with his ulterior motives. So all good. We have plenty of time obviously to, to to talk college football, but that was something that had just had just come out that they were going to stick with their eight game schedule. We come back, we're going to go on the ice. Vegas and Florida. Certainly when you think Vegas and Florida, you think hockey. We'll talk that next. The uh, Stanley Cup Finals are going on right now. The Vegas, the Golden Knights and the Panthers in, in Florida, an eight seed against, you know, one of the better teams in the NHL and what the Golden Knights have done. And talk about it, Anna Dua from NHL.com, Fantasy on Ice. Anna, appreciate you joining us now. So I, I guess 
for a, and, and when I say traditionalists, I guess I mean older people like me. When you don't see one of the one of the bigger cities or one of the original six in it or anybody from Canada in it, everybody's like, "What the hell is going on?" But overall, this has to be good for hockey, right? It is good for hockey. Robin's salt in the wound a little bit because I'm from Toronto, so hearing that Canada's not in it for 30 years now still causing me a little bit of pain, I'm not going to lie to you, but it's great to see these markets really growing. Even if we look at the final four, it was Dallas, Carolina, Florida, and Vegas, all four of those a little bit untraditional hockey markets, but these teams are doing a great job. The GM's front offices built some really solid squads. We got some star players. I know Matthew Kachuk on the Florida Panthers has kind of taken the NHL by storm with his personality. So it's really good for the sport growing overall. This wasn't necessarily the team of the last three seasons, perhaps, that Panthers fans thought would make it to the final. So what has been the difference this year for them in making this run? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, we see the Kachuk trade. I think that was huge. That was one of the biggest trades, at least in my lifetime, that I've seen for Jonathan Huberto. And at the time, it happened in the offseason. A lot of people thought it was pretty evenly matched. But in hindsight, it seems like Florida really won that trade. And Kachuk is a huge piece to this Florida Panthers squad. But this is a great team. They're a President's Trophy winning team. They had all of the pieces. They kind of came together down the stretch. Uh, I was down there for the All-Star game, which that took place in their home arena down in Sunrise and around Fort Lauderdale. And all the people down in the organization for the Florida Panthers really had no doubt that this team would make it into the postseason, even though they just kind of squeaked by to get in there. And they did. And they've been rocking and rolling ever since. you got to give them credit. Despite losing in game one of the final, I think they're going to bounce back. And they're a really scary team. And they've kind of proven that they're the team of destiny a bit this postseason. So, Annie, you mentioned game one. What did go wrong for Florida in a game that seemed pretty knotted up until that third period? It was a pretty close game. I don't think the final score kind of showcases how close it was, but Sergei Bobrovsky has been kind of holding down the fort for the Florida Panthers this entire postseason. We saw him have a little bit of a weak third period, which is very rare for him. And you see when he's not playing an elite level of Vesna winning hockey that the Florida Panthers – they struggled a little bit because Vegas is one of the, if not the deepest teams in the NHL. They have a really talented offense. They have a very deep blue line, and Aiden Hill has been standing on his head in the crease for Vegas right now. So I think that showcased itself in game one, Florida allowing the most shots on goal in the NHL throughout this entire postseason per game. So you can't do that against a team like Vegas. It's not going to work out for you. Yeah, what, what Aiden Hill has been doing for not being the everyday guy right out of the gate has been absolutely incredible. And this is a sport where if you get that one guy, in this case, a goalie to stand on his head, what a difference it can make. And what does it say about the league in itself when you look at a team like the Knights who have only been around for a little over a handful of years, and this is already their second Stanley Cup final? It's unreal. It's crazy to hear a lot of folks out in Vegas will say stuff like, oh, it's like finally their year. And I'm like, relax, you guys have been in the <laughs> NHL. So like, I can almost count it on one hand at this point, but it's amazing what they've done. Their front office has been phenomenal. You see the players that they get to Vegas and you got to give the NHL some credit here. They really turned Vegas into a sports city. I mean, with the Golden Knights going there, starting that success, having that expansion franchise, reaching the Stanley Cup final in their first year and consistently being a contending team. Now you're seeing the NFL goes to Vegas. You're seeing that the MLB is thinking about going to Vegas and it's kind of become a destination for a lot of athletes and the Golden Knights model just kind of set everyone else up for success as well. I know a lot of players love playing road games in Vegas and a lot of the Golden Knights love being in that city. So it attracts the players. They built a really solid team. Their front office has done a great job and you just can't say enough about how how great the Vegas Golden Knights have been as an expansion team. Are we past the point, and again, sorry for your, your roots of being in Canada, 
But are we past the point of saying, man, we need to have the bigger teams or the Canadian teams, and this isn't good for hockey? You know, I'm sure as the NBA they were saying, boy, it would have been great to have the Celtics and the Lakers instead of Denver and Miami. But it seems like we're getting past that in basketball. Are we getting past that in hockey as well? It's a little bit tougher, I would say, in hockey, just because it's very different up in Canada, I'll say that. And we're still watching the Stanley Cup final, regardless of who's in it or who isn't. But the hockey culture in Canada is completely different because that's the big sport that everyone plays growing up. So their teams are kind of the big team. It's the big sport up here. It's like the NFL of Canada. So obviously, when those teams go far, a big market in all of the Canadian markets is invested in the sport. But it's really great to see what's happening when non-traditional markets are kind of growing. Like I live near the Washington, D.C area when I was in high school and I was a hockey coach in high school and after the Washington Capitals won the Stanley Cup like there was an absolute influx of kids like signing up to learn how to play hockey and the rink was always flooded with so many people interested in playing the sport so getting to see kids in all these different areas like Washington and now we're going to see Florida and Vegas really get invested in hockey it's really special so it's nice to see it grow even though I do really really wish that sometime soon at least in my lifetime I'll see a Canadian team in the Stanley Cup final. So one of the things that NHL has been doing to expand viewership and kind of like make an event out of regular season games is is all the stadium series and the winter classic games. And you've been to a ton of them. Um, So what has your experience been like with those? And have we reached a like peak saturation point with too many of these games and especially in too many sunny, warm places where, you know, there's not a lot of ice. You got to give those ice crews some credit for what they're able to pull off. But to be honest, I love them. I thought the Winter Classic was really special this year. I mean, playing at Fenway outside, that's going to be a spectacle regardless of whether you like hockey or not. It's just like any sports fan's dream. So they did a great job, but Boston always does. I got to give North Carolina a lot of credit, though. And all of the outdoor games I've been to, the Stadium Series in Raleigh was my favorite one. The entire arena was absolutely sold out. The fans were so excited leading up to the event. I could not count how many Carolina Hurricanes jerseys I saw all over Raleigh like the entire city was so stoked and then after the stadium series game which was a phenomenal spectacle in itself we saw a college like club hockey game between UNC and I believe like NC State or one of those two teams down there and it got completely sold out too at Carter Finley so they sold out a college like football stadium for club hockey down in Carolina and that was just insane to see how much the sport has grown down there and I mean they've done a great job they're a great organization I talked talk about it all the time but seeing those events kind of bring a community together it's really special because the businesses get invested the people in the town get invested even if they didn't really like the sport and honestly like I said it earlier like that's the favorite one I've been to and I've been to Toronto I've been to Boston I've been to a bunch of outdoor games and a lot of places but the untraditional market of Raleigh I think did it best were you at Notre Dame were you when Notre Dame had it I was not at Notre Dame that one looked fun though I will give you that it was. It was a, a lot pic- of fun. I have a picture of it hanging on my wall. Yeah, next it was to me, awesome. Actually. Oh, that's incredible. Well, and it once you get it on site like that or in a place you mentioned, it's so easy then for everyone to look and see and get how exciting it is. And part of that also, especially in the postseason for hockey now, as we look at growing the game and all those things, is overtime hockey. It's electric. Everybody loves it. And I know for you specifically, you've taken on a different challenge for overtime. So you have been eating a calzone whenever a game goes to overtime since the start of the conference finals here. 
But in an investigation leading up to this, it's been uncovered that you've actually just been rolling up a piece of pizza. So explain yourself. What the hell's actually going on here? I knew this would come up, guys. I knew this was going to be asked. But uh, we did a Stanley Cup Central show during the entire conference finals. So we were on air for every single uh, game with the NHL. And after one of those games, when it went to OT, we get overtime pizza. And I'm from Toronto, but now I live in New York. So like the capital of pizza. So I got a lot of flack for this. But like the slide are big they're really flimsy so I like rolled it up and ate it as one does and one of my co-hosts like recorded this video of me and posted on Twitter which is how this started and he was just like what are you doing and I was just like oh like I'm eating this pizza and he's like that's not a pizza and I'm like fine it's a calzone because a calzone is just like a rolled up pizza or like two slices of bread with stuff in the middle right that became a thing and then I started doing OT calzones every single game and it's crazy because now it seems like that's everyone's favorite part I swear I'll come up with like a great interview or like a great stat for the game and nobody cares but like I'll say anything about a calzone the world goes crazy like it was tied by the end of the second game one of the Stanley Cup final and some fan tweeted at me that all the calzone dealers in my area are sweating right now so it's fun to see them get involved and get in invested in this as well but it's not great for my diet i'll tell you that yeah let, oh, let's I love from, <laughs> yeah we, we don't care about the hockey so we're staying in this for a moment here. so so are you actually calling it a calzone that you're eating or are you saying you're eating pizza what, what are you misrepresenting yourself here no it's a calzone but it's because i have this theory right that a calzone is a concept not a food so like anything can be a calzone if you think about it hard enough all right, I so like the idea it, of a calzone the, dealer too, like you said too, like you're going down to the corner <laughs> and some shady guy in a trench coat just opens up his sleeve and it's full of cheese and bread. Exactly. You show up and he's like, I know what she's here for. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> I, I think the, a feature of the calzone is that you burn your tongue because it's like completely, you know, the dough has trapped yep. all of the heat inside. So unless you're eating piping hot pizza, I don't think it has the same effect. Like, the scalding marinara sauce is is the absolute like feature of the calzone. Like, you gotta you have press to really that. hard though. You gotta get a fresh hot pizza and you gotta like crimp the edges yourself. So it's like a DIY calzone. Are you crimping? Wow. I'm crimping. <laughs> above and beyond one day we didn't even have pizza and all i had was a chick-fil-a sandwich but i was so committed to the brand that i crimped this chick-fil-a spicy chicken sandwich had cheese inside it's called a calzone wait so, yeah. all right so, so, so you're just going around calling anything a calzone now you, you just have all the bread together and there's stuff inside and cheese is included it's a calzone see i actually agree with her on this front now because i know have you been posting the crimping as a part of these videos because i feel like this would erase any debate about your dedication to the ideal of a calzone you're actually the biggest calzone enthusiast i've ever met and i watch parks and rec so i know <laughs> a thing or two about people who love calzones i know i got a show i, I there's a couple of videos of my co-hosts on the show recording me trying to do my calzones live so i'm sure they're on the internet but i am really committed at this point guys even though there was a lot of overtimes this postseason so there were a oh. lot of diy calzones but having it just be like pizza that i turn into a calzone i can take like flavor requests like people have asked for some weird stuff so that's really fun too okay so mike and jess i'm gonna let you two be the arbiters here of if she can call eating a pizza a calzone, and then you base your answer off of this zone by folding it up because I'm going to read you the definition of a calzone. Ooh, I don't like academic. you being a calzone narc right now. This is below <laughs> you. Calzones are Italian turnovers that are stuffed with an array of ingredients, 
pretty much anything that goes on a pizza can go into a calzone. I mean, it's, I think it, it follows the spirit of a calzone, maybe not the letter of the calzone, but I, I, I give her thumbs up for creativity. I, 100%. Once I found out crimping was involved, yeah, listen, yeah. I'm a reformed fat kid, so one of the credos that we live by is you earn your big boy stripes by taking foods, food items and looking at things that never were and then seeing combinations that can exist. So the fact that you looked at pizza, looked at a Chick-fil-A sandwich and said, no, I can fashion this into a calzone makes you an innovator and someone who has my sword and shield. So absolutely. Wow, this is like the best interview I've ever had in my entire life. <laughs> my head is just like huge right now. Yeah. I think my- Anna, Anna <laughs> since, since you crimp and since you fold and since you roll and put the effort into it, I think we're going to, we're going to let it slide yeah. and say, uh, we're going to say, we're going to let you call that a calzone, which I think after people hear this interview is the most important part of this interview. Hockey is hockey. Food is life. So Anna, we, we do appreciate Uh, your time with us and uh, we'll see how the hockey goes but more importantly we hope for overtime so you to make up some other food to become a calzone i know me too guys we were close in game one i have a feeling game two is going to be really close so look out for the calzone of the night so uh as we near the end of this pod jess we got to talk f1 because they had a race and i'm excited they actually had a race with some of the cancellations and stuff we had this year Shocker, Max Verstappen won yet again in Spain. Um, n- never, never really challenged. I think it was, was it been the last two or three races he's led wire to wire? I mean, has, wasn't even challenged. I think one of the big news here, and you tell me if it's true, all the cars started kind of tinkering a little bit. Mm. And Mercedes was looking to make some major changes. They ended up Hamilton second and Russell third. They ended up both on the podium in this one. So maybe some of the changes are working. Yeah, they made some major changes to their car. Actually, they were supposed to put these changes into effect before the race in Imola, which is the one that got canceled due to weather. So then they did make the changes before the Monaco race, which was over Memorial Day weekend. But the Monaco circuit is a very narrow street circuit. It's not a very fast circuit. So everyone was kind of left guessing if these changes actually really did anything. And so the Barcelona circuit in Spain, where the Spanish uh, Grand Prix is, is actually where they used to do F1 testing in, in the spring. So it's a great circuit for actually doing some testing and seeing what works and what doesn't work with the car. And it seems like Mercedes is pretty happy. They were pretty happy Saturday and Sunday with the changes that were made. They're still way off the Red Bull pace, but... They seem to have made some big improvements, and the changes that they made were, were pretty massive. They had this car the last year and a half that had no side pods. I don't know if you really know what a side pod is, but it's basically yeah. like, okay, it's like an aerodynamic component on the side of the car. And it's like a side pod. It's like a side pod, exactly. It's like the thing that Hagrid like carries Harry <laughs> in on his motorcycle. Oh in Harry Potter. And so this new version of the car has bigger side pods than the, the very narrow ones. So they think maybe that's helped. They've also changed some other things to uh, the front suspension. So it remains to be seen. I, I mean, Verstappen still is obviously the best driver in the best car and has, I think, like a 70-point lead or 56-point lead or something like that right now in the Drivers' Championship. But if Mercedes can at least come in second in the Constructors' Championship after the first half of the season, well, not first half, first third of the season that they've had, I think they'd be really happy with that. So, Mike, let me ask you, if you, if first off, we would have to be able to fit into a car. If we could fit into a race car, would you rather be in a race, in an F1 race, 
an IndyCar race or a NASCAR race? Uh, F1, because it's just wealth pouring around everywhere. I would want to race for Ferrari just to see, like, what the experience of, like, of knowing that sinking feeling of dread that something's always going to go wrong. Like, I hadn't watched a race in a while this week, and when I tuned in, I was flying back home from Pittsburgh, and the first thing I heard was, more disappointment for Ferrari. And I was like, oh, okay, so things are still kind of the same, more or less. Pretty much. I mean, I, I won't make the obvious Notre Dame football joke here, but there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of sports teams that I follow that give me that feeling of dread, and Ferrari is definitely one of them. Uh, honestly, I just want to drive for Ferrari, and I noticed this in the airport. I am amazed by guys that walk around wearing jackets with car logos on them. Like, I was behind a dude that just yes. had a Porsche jacket on, and I'm like, I don't know, even if I owned a Porsche, that I would be the guy that did that. But if I drove for Ferrari, then that's just your issue gear for your team, and getting to walk around in Ferrari stuff would be sick. Okay, I have noticed this a lot in the last year in Miami since there's been now two races down here. A lot of people have Formula One gear and merch that they wear around. And I see Red Bull, uh, the Navy Red Bull polos and hats, the Navy like Oracle Red Bull hat all the time. But the other day I saw someone wearing an Alpine Formula One t-shirt. Wow. And I thought it was the weirdest thing. Wow. Like I was totally jarred by it. I'm like, does he have like a cousin who works for Alpine? Yeah. I've never seen an Alp Alpine merch in the wild in Miami before. It was so weird. Kind of in the discount rack, maybe, or something like that. I, <laughs> while I think F1 is the coolest, I would probably race NASCAR because you can bump cars a lot more and get away with it because that's what I certainly would be doing. Rubbing his racing, baby. Yeah, yeah trading paint, as they say. All right, to finish this up, uh, Jess, you and I haven't talked about it, but Mike and I have, of the end of succession. What were your thoughts about the end of succession? I thought it was such a good series finale. It was so, like... I had so much schadenfreude watching these awful characters kind of get what was coming to them. But, like, you also know that they're still rich. So, like, yeah. there's a degree to you're, you're not really feeling that bad for them. Um, but I, I I really enjoyed it. How did you like it? I, I liked it. I, I, I was surprised. I guess I shouldn't have been surprised that Shiv went down that road. I mean, listen, Roman wasn't running anything. Dude's going to need to be in a straitjacket. Shiv looked like she was just kind of shifting to stay in power with Tom as she shifting. got in the car in the end. And then uh, Kendall, I thought, was when he was walking by the ocean, I thought was just going to walk right into the ocean. We'd never see him again. So he's obviously going to be affected the most. Yeah. Apparently they filmed a take where he pretended to like he was going to jump into the East River or something yeah. like that, but they didn't <laughs> use it. But, I mean, that show was... I love that it was four seasons, 10 episodes. Like they didn't, they could have stretched it out for another 10 years and they didn't probably ended too soon rather than too late. But that's kind of, that's the, I think that they kind of hit the sweet spot there. It didn't get really kind of crappy and, and like bad right. writing at the end. Like it just ended really, really good. I can say it went out like Breaking Bad went out where the last season and the last handful of episodes were heaters. Yeah, oh, yeah I, I, I sure. loved it. So real quick, Jess, what are you watching now? Well, I just watched the Bama Rush documentary on Max, which used to be HBO Max, which right. used to be HBO Now, which used to be HBO Go, which used to be HBO. So, Mike, if you haven't seen it yet, and Mike, especially you, Gojo, um, ooh, it's a weird documentary. It is, it is one of the weirdest documentaries I've seen in a while. The trailer made me deeply uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I, the trailer I... overpromised a little. 
I will have to check that out. Right now I'm watching FUBAR, which is a Netflix show about a father and daughter who find out they're both working for the CIA. It has Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. Actually, it's actually Fubar. pretty good. So it's good to know that, Jess, you and I are watching decent things. It's while not a FUBAR. Mike, why don't why don't you go why don't you go back to your Harry Potter uh, you know whatever it is you're playing and uh, leave Hogwarts up. Legacy baby it's I am crushing game. it right now yeah grow up dad never again will you be on this show.